Thank you so much, choir and Kathy, for that beautiful song and uh, for the reminder that people need the Lord. And it goes very well with uh, the theme of the sermon today. So uh, that's the Lord's work in bringing that together. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our, stu- our time of study in His Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for the blessings that we've already enjoyed and worshiped together. Lord, as we open your word to understand the truths of it, Lord, that we would be reproved by it, that we would be corrected, and that we would be sent into this world ready to serve you. Father, I pray that you would give me strength and wisdom and guidance as I preach, that I might bring the words that you would have these, your people, to hear. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we're continuing in our study of the kingdom parables of Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at the second parable of this sermon that Jesus is giving, which is the parable of the weeds, or you might know it as the parable of the wheat and the tares. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then we're going to skip down to verses 36 through 43 as we consider this parable today. So let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, and then we'll, once we read that, we'll skip down to 36 and read the rest of this parable of the weeds. So uh, starting in verse 24, God's word says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while this man was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the king, the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels." Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears... Let him hear. So from this passage, I want you to see two points this morning. I want you to see the extent of God's kingdom and the extermination of the weeds. The extent of God's kingdom and the extermination of the weeds. So first, let's consider the extent of God's kingdom. So this parable starts right 
where the parable of the sowers left off. In fact, I would argue that I think that Jesus has in mind this same field and the same farmer that he told in the story of the uh, the good soils and the or the four different types of soils, the parable of the sower. So the, so the parable begins in verse twenty four by by stating that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, because we know that Jesus is teaching us a spiritual truth in this, we have to ask, who is the farmer and what is this field? So thankfully, Jesus answers these questions for us in verses 37 and 38. First of all, he tells us that the farmer is Jesus himself. He says that the farmer is the son of man. That's Jesus. So Jesus is spreading or planting good seed that will rise up and produce fruit. And then he tells us that the field is the world. Now, there are three important points that I want you to notice and I want to drive home with you today about this field of the world. First of all, recognize that this field is not the church. Now, some people will read this parable and and will read into this that Jesus is speaking uniquely about the church and that there are true believers and there are false believers in the church. And beyond that, they might argue that because of what Jesus says about not rooting up the weeds, that we shouldn't uh, try to distinguish between true believers and false believers in the church. We shouldn't exercise church discipline and all of that. Now, it's certainly the case that there is a distinction that we have to keep, if we're going to be good Christians, between what theologians call the visible church and the invisible church. And what I mean by that is you can be a member of the visible church and not be a member of the invisible church. You can come down this aisle and be baptized. You can serve in the church. You can come every Sunday. You can take communion. You can do all the things that good Christian people do. But really in your heart, you have never repented. You have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You never really have had true saving faith. Now, these people that do that are part of the visible church. And by that, we mean you can see by what they have done, by the baptism, by the Lord taking the Lord's Supper, by serving in the church, you can see that they look like they're Christians. But they're not actually Christians because they don't have saving faith. They're not part of the invisible church. And the invisible church is that church that God only knows. Those people who are true believers and only God knows that number. But even though that's true... The New Testament is full of commands to discipline church members and even cast them out should they be found to live in sin. For example, Titus chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So second, the field is not the nation of Israel, and it is not the USA, and it is not any other nation under the sun. 
Now, since the Christianization of the Roman Empire, we Christians have been kind of caught in a trap of thinking that one nation or another could be the true Christian nation. So after Rome, we hoped for the Byzantine Empire, and then the Holy Roman Empire, and then the Kingdom of Charlemagne, and the Spanish Empire, and the British Empire, and the USA, and then finally the restored nation of Israel. But God's kingdom is not geographically limited. There is no place where God's rule does not reach. God's kingdom can be found on the plains of Africa, in the jungles of India, on the mountain peaks of Nepal, and in the swamps of Georgiana, Alabama. Along uh, along with this, it is important to point out that there is not one particular people group or one culture that can be called the people of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul tells the Gentiles who were by their very lineage alienated from the covenant of God with Israel, he tells them, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It doesn't matter if your lineage traces back to Africa or Ireland or Germany or Spain. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are a full-fledged member of the kingdom of God. So what is this field then? Jesus says that this field is the world. Now the Greek word that he uses there for world is cosmos, which y'all might recognize because we call the universe what? The cosmos, right? So when Jesus says that the field is the world, Jesus means all of creation. He means everybody, not the nation of Israel, not the USA, not any particular group but all of creation. And understand that the rule of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, extends over all the earth. And there are two truths that I want you to recognize from this very fact. First of all, God is in control of the history of this world. Now, it may not feel like it at times. We may look at the news media. We may look at the way the world is going. We may look at the way our nation is going and say, I don't know, Brother Nathan, if he's really in control. But the truth is that he is in control at all times, in all places. There is not, as, as uh, um, R.C. Sproul said, there is not one maverick molecule in all of the universe that God does not control. God is sovereign over all things. And so the world is his field. The world is God's field and God plows it and he plants it and he has control over the outcome of it. And notice Satan doesn't own the field. The enemy, as it's described in this story, doesn't own the field. In fact, he has to come in under the cover of darkness to do his work. It is Jesus Christ who rules. Not only that, but God is in control of the final destination of every last person in this world. Hear me on that. If you're not a believer, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you need to understand this. Jesus Christ is in control of every of the final destination of every last person in this world. Now, there is a popular view in our culture in which the view is that God interacts with us based on whatever concept we wish to hold of him. So for the Hindu, he's Shiva. 
For the Muslim, he's Allah. And for the Christian, he's Jesus. But God does not belong to us. We belong to Him. We are His field, and He will judge us according to His will, not our own. We're not going to get to heaven and say, well, God, I did the best I could with what I had. I believed in something. I just didn't believe in Jesus. And he's not going to say, well, okay, I guess you did the best. You know, well, okay, you know, I I, I guess that's enough of a, a type of faith that I'll accept that. No, it is God who determines what judgment he will uh, he will pass on us. He will judge us according to his will, not what we think of him. Not how how we think He ought to judge us. Second, recognize that God knows those who are His. And He has His elect throughout all of this world. In every place around this globe, there is good soil in which the seed of the gospel will grow. So recognize a couple of things about this. At the very least, what this should motivate us to do is to go plant, right? If it means that wherever we go, there will be good seed that sprouts up and the, and the church will grow as a result of it, then what we ought to want to do is go out and plant the seed, right? And we ought to want to go to communist China or to Hindu India or to woke America and plant seed because we know that wherever we plant it, God's Word will grow because there are good planted seeds in those places. There is good soil in those places. It also means that we can do the work of God with boldness. It means that we can share the gospel with boldness because we know that God's word is going to have its effect. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be careful. We don't have to be timid because we know that when we preach the gospel, it will have its effect. Now, I'll be honest with you as a pastor and I've talked to other pastors who feel lost in the way that we should share the gospel with this latest generation in our culture. Because, we, and really not just the latest generation, but the latest few generations have raised, been raised in such a prosperous nation, in such a healthy nation, in such a, uh, a powerful nation, that it is hard to imagine life any better than we have it. And so when you go and they've also been raised to believe that there is absolutely nothing wrong with the way that they live, that ultimately it is God who serves them, not they who serve God. And so when you go to them and you talk about the fact that they sin and that they need to repent and they need to believe in a savior, their first reaction is to wonder, what on earth are you talking about? I don't sin. God loves me just the way I am. And so it, it causes a lot of pastors a great deal of angst to, you know, in trying to figure out how best to share the gospel. And there's, there's some good work that can be done in that. But at the end of the day, even with every generation, regardless of what background they have, regardless of where they, uh, how they view the world, we can have confidence that when we tell them about Jesus Christ, that God's Spirit will have His work. That He will call out people from every generation, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation to be His people. So now that we understand that, let's consider my second point, which is the extermination of the weeds. In the story, we find that after the farmer has sown his good seed, it says that an enemy comes in by night and plants weeds. 
When it comes time for the harvest, the farmers look out through the field and they see that there are, there's wheat mixed with weeds. And they say, well, what are we supposed to do? And the, the farmer tells them, we're going to wait till the harvest and we're going to gather those weeds up and we're going to put them in piles and we're going to throw them into the furnace and burn them. So there are a few facts about these weeds that teach us a lot about what Jesus means and about the gospel, about the kingdom of God. First, as they're growing, these weeds look just like wheat. Now, there's a specific type of weed that Jesus has in mind here. The, the Greeks and the Romans called it Darnell. I'm sorry if you're named Darnell, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a weed if, you're, if your name is Darnell. Um, but the, the Greeks and Romans called it Darnell, and sometimes they called it false wheat, or your translation might call it tares. There was another name for it. This, and the thing about Darnell is when it grows, it looks just like wheat. The stalk looks just like wheat. And there is no way to know whether it's wheat or it's false wheat. And so you can imagine if you garden, and you go into your garden and you see all these plants coming up and they all look the same and you've got your hoe with you and you're trying to decide how do I hoe this out, you have to decide, well, i got to leave it all because I don't know whether it's wheat or whether it's darnel. And so you leave it to the end till you know what the fruit will produce. And Jesus effectively says that the same is true of people. There are many people in this world who seem good. In fact, because of the truth of, uh, of the fact that we're made in the image of God, even though that image is broken by the fall of Adam, uh, we, we see good in most people. Most people will do good works. Most people will live a good life. Most people will be kind. And so we look at that and we think, well, maybe they're a Christian. Maybe they're a, person, a, a, a member of the family of God. And there are plenty of people that seem to be good, but over time they prove themselves to be weeds. There are televangelists who can preach a fine sermon, but who live lavish lifestyles on the back of poor people that they deceive. There are politicians who claim the high moral ground or claim to be fighting for the people who only seek power for power's sake. There are businessmen who like to put that little fish uh, uh, saying that they're a Christian on their company logo, but then swindle and connive under the shadow of their public faith. But in the story and in real life, the farmer has a way of telling the difference between wheat and darnel. There's a dead giveaway with these plants when they produce the ears of the crop. The ears of wheat, as you probably know, they grow in a clump at the top of the, the uh, stalk. But darnel grows like a ladder all the way up the stalk. And so when they produce the fruit, when they produce the ear of the crop, you can see very clearly which one is wheat and which one is darnel. You see, just as with the parable of the sower, the farmer can tell his crop by its fruit. He tells his servants at the time of the harvest, we're going to separate the wheat and the darnel and we're going to take uh, sheaves of the darnel and we're going to pile them up into a great stack and we're going to have a big old bonfire. Understand that it is the same way with people. 
God's people should be known by our fruits. We should be defined by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We should be known, as John chapter 13 verse 35 says, by our love for one another. As I said last week, saving faith always produces fruit. Saving faith always produces fruit, and that fruit can be seen. Finally, just as the farmer can easily identify and rid himself, uh, rid himself of these weeds, so too God knows who are his and who are not. Certainly God is long-suffering and patient, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, as 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. God is merciful, even to those who live in rebellion and those who the enemy has planted alongside the wheat. But do not mistake God's mercy for weakness. Do not mistake God's patience for indecisiveness. There will be a time when God will bring this world of His to a terrible day of judgment. And on that day, He will destroy the powers of evil once and for all. And as Jesus says in verse 41, He will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as we close, there are three, uh, two truths that I want you to understand from this. First of all, believers, we have to understand that in this fallen world, in this present age, there is no such thing as a perfect Christian nation. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian form of government. We live among weeds. We live with people who look just like us, who seek good in their own lives, who seek the common good. And perhaps we can work with those people, even though they might not be, uh, might not be believers, we can work with them to seek the common good. But that good that we pursue will only be limited in its extent and its effect. And as Jesus directs, we shouldn't try to root out the weeds so that we can have a perfect world, so that we can have a perfect system. Because in doing so, we might risk damaging someone who is actually a stalk of wheat, a true believer, a seed that God has planted. And so we have to be careful that in working for good and working for the common good, we don't deceive ourselves into thinking that if we just rooted out all the bad people, we would have a perfect world. Our calling in this world is not to root out all the bad people, but to win the loss for Jesus Christ, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ into this world and to call those who would believe in him to join together with us and to be disciple. That is our work, not to weed the garden, but to spread the good seed. That is our calling. Second, you need to understand that God knows your heart. You may look like a good, healthy stalk of wheat. You might be coming up and growing strong. But in your soul, you know that you really are a weed. You don't believe in the gospel. You'd rather not live for Christ. And you might fool every last one of us in this room, but you cannot fool God. 
If that is who you are, you need to recognize that God knows you. And He will judge you in the end unless you turn to faith in Christ. So won't you trust Him today and be saved from the fiery furnace that is to come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for the parable of the weeds that tells us how we are to live in this present age, but also gives us hope of the fact that You have a, a, a harvest that is coming. And that you know those who are yours and you will have your effect in this world. You will bring about the harvest that you have intended. And you will judge those who have not responded to the gospel. You will judge those who the enemy has sown. But yet you will call us out and and, uh, you will uh, make us a part of your kingdom through the preaching of your word. And Father, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would go out from this place boldly proclaiming the word of God, that we might see this great harvest one day. Father, I pray that you would bless us as we respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.